I want to tell you this morning that I have really been looking forward to diving into this series for these next six weeks on the family. I believe the family is the most basic building block of a healthy church, of a healthy community, and of a healthy society for that matter. And anything that we can do to strengthen families will bring benefits and we will reap those benefits both now and for generations to come. And I want to tell you that this isn't a gloom and doom type message series on the family either. People are like, oh, the families, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't want it to be negative at all. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be an enlightening time for us to look and see what God's Word uh, has to tell us and teach us about the family unit and the individuals in the family. But I think it's going to be a fun time and a very practical time. And what I'm most excited about is the potential change that can take place in our families. Whether your family uh, is healthy and strong and you just need a few minor tweaks, we, we can all use uh, you know, some, some tune-ups, so to speak, at times. But maybe your family's in need of a pretty extensive overhaul and some, some serious things need to change and to be done differently. But I pray that through this time that you will be encouraged, that you'll be refreshed, that you'll be motivated, and most importantly, equipped to honor God in your marriage and in your family. Now, I'm thankful Laura Johnson put together, she drew the, did the artwork here. I had this idea of putting this board out that says, I wish my husband would. And she drew our uh, middle-aged uh, man here, a little pot belly eating a cookie with a remote in his hand. I think my wife's in a picture that she actually drew of me doing that because that's me in a lot of days. But uh, hey, it's going to be fun. And there's one in the, the foyer now that says, I wish my wife would. So husbands, it's your turn now. I'm going to share with you uh, many of these responses up here, uh, but I want your input on your side of the marriage relationship, and I'll use some of those things next week uh, as, we, as we move into this series. But men, I want you to remember one thing this morning. This is the thing that I want you to file away in your heart and your mind and your spirit. Uh, what will begin to change your thinking and your practice and all that you do. Our, our key principle this morning is this. Whatever we choose to love, Whatever we choose to love and practice loving becomes more attractive and desirable to us. Let me say that again. This is, men, this is really who we are. And I want you to be able to understand this to put it into practice. Whatever we choose to love and practice loving becomes more attractive and desirable to us. Now, the thing about this principle for us men is that this love part, that we may not start out saying, well, I love something. It can just be kind of a like that we have about something or something that we enjoy a little bit. But for men and something about our addictive personalities, man, it can, it can move into a full-blown addiction for us. For example, not many of us, well, I, I'm still not, but not many of you were, were great at golf the first time you ever played, right? I mean, if you ever played that game, it could be very frustrating. Golf is such a frustrating game. I've met people who said, I played once or twice and I totally quit because I didn't want to get into it. I just, it, it was not fun. It wasn't enjoyable. I didn't go back. But others of us said, you know what? We got out of time or two and said, I kind of like this game. There were some things about it that I liked. And so, so we, we made a decision that I like this game enough that I'm going to maybe pay for lessons. I'm going to go get some, some buckets of balls and practice on the, the driving range. But I like this enough. I called up my buddy and I went and I practiced loving it by doing it a little bit more. And then it got to the point that, that I, I like this game and I like this game that your wife stopped by and she wrote on here, uh, I wish you would stay home and spend more time with his family. So what you, choo you chose to love and you began practicing loving that thing 
became more attractive and desirable to you that, that now anybody calls says, hey, you want to go golfing today? You're like, sign me up, all right? I'm there. And there's something about us men that that happens to us. And, and golf isn't to the, the only thing that this applies to. Men, we, we can be known, we've been known to be sucked into things like video games. You ever been up at one or two in the morning going, I've almost beat this level. I can do it. I can do it. I'm, I'm so close now. Thinking, I got to go to bed. I got to work in the morning. Man, you ever, you ever been there? Uh, what about hunting become one of those things that, that you choose to like and you practice uh, being, being a part of and it becomes more attractive? Oh, I, I want to hunt. You know, it's, it's deer season now and it's rabbit season and it's duck season and whatever else seasons and you you just look any season it is honey it's this season i gotta go okay it's more attractive and desirable to us hey watching television sports uh, of any variety it can can be known that for men maybe it's working in your garden working on your car men do you need me to go on you're getting this idea that whatever we choose to love and practice loving becomes more attractive and desirable to us we want to do that more and more and so my challenge to us as husbands this morning is this to make our wives what we choose to love and practice loving our wives. And they will become even more attractive and desirable to us. That's not to say that they're not now, ladies, okay? So, so hear me with that. I'm not, not implying that at all, but it will simply increase that. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. You've probably figured out that today's message is primarily directed toward the men in our congregation. Be they single men or married men. Men, if you're single and, and get married one day, these are things that you need to build into your life and into your marriage. And men, I want to tell you, I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to try and make you feel like a dog uh, or anything like that or, or guilt you into any things. That, that's not my goal at all. But I do anticipate the Holy Spirit probably convicting us a little bit uh, and helping uh, show us some areas where we can improve. Because we all have room for improvement in being God-honoring husbands in our marriage relationships. Now, ladies, I'll tell you this morning, don't tune this out because it's, it's more directed to the men. You're going to be the recipient of what takes place today. But let me ask you this. Please just pray and allow God to work these into the heart and the life and the actions of your husbands. All right, you running around waving your note sheet going, see, Pastor Curtis said you got to do this. See, see, see. It's probably going to be counterproductive to what you would like to see take place in those relationships, okay? So just, just pray and allow God to kind of work these things uh, into your husband's heart and into his spirit. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul, uh, at the end of this section, tells us that as believers that we're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, now, some people look at that and state that Paul is saying that there's mutual submission in all relationships. And as believers, there's mutual submission uh, even between husbands and wives. The implication being, as people say that, that, that there's always th this room for compromise, agreement, that it's a partnership. There's no clear-cut leader. There's no authority uh, in the home or in the family. We're just co-laborers and we're co-equal partners with that. Basically, this view would tell us that when there's a decision to be made, Everybody sits down, everybody weighs in on it, and we arrive at a compromise that makes everyone happy. So they say that's what Paul's saying because he says that, that we uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, that's not right. 
This verse in verse 21 is at the end of a section where Paul in verses 1 through 21 has been writing about submission within the body of Christ. And he tells us that within the body of Christ, uh, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But then in verse 22, he takes a different direction and he takes this idea of biblical submission and he begins to apply it to relationships, not in the body of believers in the context of the church together, but in other relationships, but still relationships where the people are believers, where they are followers of Jesus Christ. And so he applies this idea of biblical submission to to husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. And I want to tell you, the biblical teaching on submission isn't equal parties talking and discussing and arriving at a mutually satisfying compromise that makes everybody happy. That's not what the Bible teaches for biblical submission. Biblical submission teaches us that a person makes a conscious decision an act of the will to set aside his or her wants or preferences or desires and submits them to an authority that's over them. That is biblical submission. That, that you don't say, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. It's to say, no, I, I have these desires, these wants, but I'm going to not follow through with those and I'm going to submit to this authority that is over me. And before you go getting all wrapped around the axle and stuff, let me remind you of one thing. We live now in a sinful world. Sin has tainted everything about us. Therefore, every relationship that we're a part of has been tainted by sin. But this idea of submission wasn't an issue before sin entered into the world. It worked perfectly in the Garden of Eden until sin came to be a part of our lives. And after the fall, people began to struggle and they began to grasp for power in nearly every relationship. And so instead of wanting to submit to an authority, we kind of had this idea that says, I want what I want. And I think it's about time that I get what I want. And so we moved from a 50-50 relationship where there's partnering a compromise into everybody grasping, trying to get 51% so that the other person could get 49% and we can get our way. There's the power struggle. Not, we came into it with it's you know, 50-50 to get our way, but no, we really want that 51, that majority stock in something. And then what happens to us when we only get the 49 in a situation? We say, all right, all right, I got 49 now, but I'll get 51 next time. You just wait and see. Do we not? Is that not the struggle uh, that we wrestle with time and time again? But here's the key to interpreting this passage and understanding biblical submission in every capacity, and it's this, to recognize that everyone lives under authority. Everyone lives under an authority of some kind and of some type. And the quickest snapshot of this idea comes in Ephesians 6, where Paul is taking this idea of biblical submission and he's applying it to relationships and he's talking to slaves and masters. And obviously in a slave-master relationship in this day and time, there's no 50-50 compromise with the master coming out to the slaves and saying, hey, do you guys want to work today? Let's find something that'll make everybody happy. That didn't work in that way. Paul told the slaves, you need to submit to your earthly masters, realizing that as you submit to them, that you are serving the Lord. And as a result of you serving them, 
him in obedience and in submission, God will bless you. You will be blessed because of following uh, their direction and being submissive to them as your masters. But he doesn't stop with just those words to the slaves. In verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Masters do the same to them, showing them kindness and respect uh, and mercy and grace. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master, and you'll notice there in that master that Paul writes there that it's a capital M. So the slave's most important master is not you, you earthly representative. It is their heavenly master. And he says that he who is their master and yours in heaven. So he tells those slave owners, you have an authority in your life. You are under the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. And then he ends it by saying this, and that there is no partiality with him. So Paul is telling these slave owners that you follow the leadership, the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, and you will be held accountable for your leadership and for your actions and your behaviors with these slaves who are under your authority in this situation. So, knowing that, understanding that background, let's look and see what Paul writes to husbands, recognizing that Christ is the authority that we husbands are to obey in our lives and in our marriage relationships. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, let's pause right there. Husband, you need to recognize and understand right out of the gate that the measure by which you will be judged in your relationship to your wife is the relationship of Jesus Christ to his bride, the church, which is believers. That is your measure. That is the standard by which we will be measured in how we relate to our wives. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Think about the weight of that statement. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As that sinks in, I hope there was a chill that ran down your spine. I know there was in mine this week as I was preparing and and I, I sensed the Holy Spirit whisper and say, Curtis, are you loving? Are you leading? Are you caring for Shelley? Like Jesus did the church. And I put that question in your note sheet. And I want you, husband, to fill in your name in that blank. Are you loving and leading and caring for your wife like Christ did the church? Because that is our goal. That is the standard by which we will be measured. And when you love and you lead your wife with that kind of love and with that heart and with that, that spirit, then this idea of submission, which we'll talk about next week, isn't an issue because your wife trusts you. That trust increases and she knows that you love her, that you care for her, that you're protecting her, that you're leading her, and that you have her best interest at heart in every situation. And how do we know that? Because that's how Jesus Christ loves the church. He loves us. He cares for us. He protects us. And even in difficult times and difficult situations, he still has our best interest at heart. And he's there with us to walk us through those difficulties and those hard times. And husbands, your wife longs for that kind of relationship with you. She longs for that leadership from you, that Christ-centered leadership in your home and in your relationship. Well, how do I know that? Because this last week, 
Some of them stopped by the board and they wrote things like this. I wish my husband would be the spiritual leader and example for our family. I wish my husband would pray in our home, take the lead in family devotions, always seek God's will, lead like Christ, consistently have personal quiet time, study his Bible, be spirit-led, love, pray with me, continue his walk with Christ. Those are things that women in this church wrote on the board that they wished their husband would do. They long for that Christ-led, that spirit-filled leadership from their husbands who know that you love the Lord and that you love them as Christ loved the church. And I know some of us may be thinking, well, wait, that's impossible. I'm not Jesus, so how can I love my wife like Jesus loved the church? I'm not perfect. He was, but I'm not. I can't do that. And that's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. Our church's mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what you need. A relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which will allow you to love your wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. Because when you submit to the Lord and when you follow his leadership and are in a growing relationship with him, you are filled with the Holy Spirit who enables you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. But it starts when you decide to love your wife as Christ loved the church and as, a, as an act of will uh, and obedience to God's command to do so. It is a clear command that we are to love our wives. Remember, what we choose to love and practice loving becomes more attractive and desirable to us. So love your wife whether you think she's deserving of your love or not. And I'll tell you, she is deserving of your love. You made that commitment before God and before witnesses. She is deserving of that love. And so practice putting that love into practice. You know, we're not commanded to love our wives because of what they are or what they are not or because of what we will get in return. That is a worldly type love. The world is object uh, oriented in its love. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? If I do this and if I do these things, then I should get something in return. And if what I get in return isn't as good as what I'm giving, I'm not going to do it. That's worldly love. But you are to love your wife because it's God's will, because it is God's command that you would love her. And even if every appealing characteristic and virtue within your wife disappeared, which it hasn't, you are still under a direct command from God to love your wife. You are still under that command to love her no matter what. And as a matter of fact, your obligation in that instance would be even greater because your wife needs that healing and restoration in her life that only your selfless love can bring. Husbands, we are to love our wives, and it's a large challenge, and we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus Christ to do that. So, thinking about his love, how did Jesus love the church? Did he love us because we were worthy of his love? Were we deserving of the love that Jesus Christ displayed for us? No way. We are steeped in sin. We didn't deserve the love of Jesus Christ, that he would come and, and die for us on the cross of Calvary. Were we respectful 
toward Christ? Were, were we honoring to him? Were we submissive to his will in our lives? No, we weren't. We were disobedient. We were rebellious. You know, in all of those things, we didn't honor him in that way. Yet Christ chose to love us and he put his love into action, into practice by dying for us. And as a result, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're being sanctified day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. We're made beautiful because of his work on the cross of Calvary, not because of anything within us. So our first choice is to love Christ and practice loving him by growing in our relationship with him. And our second choice is to love our wives and practice loving them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And wouldn't you know it that the Apostle Paul is so kind to us that he actually gives us men some things that we can do. Because we're very action-oriented. What do we do? What does this look like? Give me some pictures. Give me some ideas. The Apostle Paul, knowing how we are as men, tells us four specific things that we can do to practice loving our wives. In the next part of verse 25, he says that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The first thing that we can do to practice our wife is to sacrifice for her, to sacrifice for her. That's what Jesus did for us. And your wives indicated this desire in your marriage relationship. And listen, men, they're not asking for huge sacrifices here. I want you to listen to some of these things that that wives said, I wish my husband would. I wish he would hold the remote less and appreciate me more. I wish he would lose weight. Wow, your wife wants you to maybe live a little bit longer and be with her. I mean, that's a pretty big compliment, men, that she wants you to be around. Wish, wish you would lose weight. Uh, I wish you would be a team player with housework and yard work. I wish you would ask if I need help with anything. Man, did Shelly leave any room for any other ladies on here or what? I mean, <laughs> I've heard all these before. Like, here are some more in this. I, I wish my husband would go to marriage counseling with me. And you know what? This lady's right. The only person you can change is you, husband. And if she's going to counseling and if she's doing things to try and better the relationship and you're not coming along and trying to help do your part in that, then it's going to be a a difficult to bring, it's going to be difficult to bring change about in that relationship. And you know what's going to happen? She's probably going to resent you uh, and be bitter toward you for not taking steps and trying to do all that you can to save your marriage relationship. And it adds another uh, another hurdle, another barrier in reconciling your relationship. And you may say, well, 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 she's the one with all the issues. First of all, that's not true. Secondly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't have issues. We had all the issues. Yet what did Jesus do for us? He died for us on the cross of Calvary. So don't even go there with, well, she's the one with all the issues. It's your task. It's your job, your duty, your responsibility to do everything you can to love your wife as Christ loved the church, even if it's attending marriage counseling to better the relationship and work through some of those issues. Here are some other things on the list. Clean up the clutter on his side of the sofa and bed. Mm. Cook and clean and laundry. A date night out without the kids. That's not so bad. Guys, go spend some time with your wife. Be pregnant for me. Brother, I'll pray for you, but you are on your own. (laughs) 
uh, a couple of ladies wrote, I'm speechless, a couple of ladies wrote, come to church, attend Sunday school with me. And I hope those husbands are here today to see that sacrifice your wife is asking you to make time to be in church, to be in Sunday school with her. And guys, I mean, that helps the other part. Remember this, this Christ-like leadership and leading like Christ and loving the Lord? That fosters that. Being in Sunday school and being in church helps you grow in your relationship with Christ and helps you love her as Christ loved the church. And you know what? It can even help your family devotions here. You know, she's, one of the comments was, I wish he would lead in family devotions. Here's what you do. Each week as you come to worship, try to think of three things. Three things in your mind. Write them down. Commit them to memory. Whatever works for you. But think of three things that stand out to you from the from worship and Sunday school, and, and then pick three nights, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever your schedule looks like. Take those three dinners and at those three nights, and at dinner time, say, you know what? This last Sunday, somebody said such and such, the pastor or whatever, the such and such. What do y'all think about that? Why would God tell us to do that? How do we put that into practice? And then help your family converse about that spiritual truth or that thought or that idea. They will think you're one of the greatest theological minds that have ever walked the face of the planet. Okay, maybe that's a stretch. But anyway, you're, you're still, you're being to take some initiative. You're taking that leadership and talking about spiritual things with your families. You're taking that ownership and you're leading out in that way. Men, choose to love your wife and practice loving her by sacrificing your time. Sacrifice your to-do list, your wants and your desires for her, and you'll find yourself wanting to do it more and more. Well, a second way that Paul outlines and says that we can practice loving our wives is by making purity a priority. By making purity a priority. He says in verse 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word being the gospel message that salvation was brought. We were made right. We were justified. Water uh, symbolizing that we're washed and cleansed uh, through baptism. Uh, So Jesus Christ did this for the church. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This passage tells us that Jesus' death on the cross cleansed us of our sins and made us pure and righteous before God through Jesus Christ. And men, if we're going to love our, li- our wives as Christ loved the church, we must keep watch over purity in our lives, in their lives, and over our families as well. And who is Satan's number one target for compromising purity in the family? It's the husband. It's the men. Why is that? Because we're the gatekeeper. And he knows if he can bring impurity into our lives, then he's got a more open path into the rest of the family. Men, it's our job to protect our wives and our family's purity. And we're called to stand guard over their holiness, over their virtue, and over their purity in every way. And all too often, we haven't just fallen asleep on the job. We've let the fox in the hen house. And we are reaping the whirlwind of that. And there are, men, there are too many helps and resources available for us today for our purity to be compromised like it is. And it takes us owning up to this and taking personal responsibility and leadership in this area to do a better job guarding and protecting the purity in our lives, for our wives, and for our families. Men, get internet filtering 
or monitoring software, whatever you need in that capacity. Pay attention to what your children are consuming in their media diets through music and television, the computers, and on their smartphones. And doing these things, it may take time for you to research and read the lyrics to songs that they're listening to and sit down and talk with them about this and checking out the television shows and reading reviews and stuff. It's going to take time, but it's worth the time commitment. You may tick them off by pulling things and saying, we're not going to do these things. But you know what? That's part of your job. That's what it means to be the protector and the guard standing over them. And so take that stand. And you may have to find other hobbies to do because there may be huge amounts of time that, you know what? That's not healthy. It's not productive. We're not going to do that. So now what are we going to do with this time that's here? And you need to lead out in that area as well in what you're going to do and build those relationships through those things. And men, if this is a personal struggle for you, then it's time for you to man up. It's time for you to take some initiative and get some accountability so you can claim some victory over the area of purity in your own life. I have internet monitoring software on my computer. Do I need it? Yes, I need it because I am as susceptible to temptation as anyone else. And so knowing that there are individuals in my life who get a weekly report that chronicles and tell them where I've been on the internet is no, no small price at all for me to pay just to know that that avenue for temptation is lessened because I know that people are watching and seeing where I go and I don't want to embarrass them or myself but having to call me and say, hey, what's this that popped up on your report this week? It's not worth the compromise that's made to say, well, I'm a man. Well, yeah, point being, get that protection in your life. And the best thing you can do to fight this in in your life is to have a strong accountability partner, someone who will call and who will challenge you in those ways and in this area. Shelly traveled several years ago. She had gone on summer vacation, and sometimes she'll go and spend uh, an extended period of time with the family, and I'll stay home and work. And she had taken one of those trips, and I went through some of the worst temptation of my entire life in that time period. For two days, I mean, it was hard to sleep, couldn't function at work. I mean, just the level of temptation that was bombarding my heart and my spirit, I have never uh, experienced since then and had never experienced before. I cannot tell you how overwhelming was uh, it was to have that level of temptation in that time when she and the kids were gone. And finally, I mustered up enough courage to go ahead and call my accountability partner, to call my best friend in Kentucky and tell him what was going on and just ask him to pray for me. He said, man, I'm really struggling. I feel so weak now and I'm ashamed to tell you this. And we had the conversation. Uh, he, he prayed with me on the phone. He told me he was going to call me every day and check in and see how I was doing until Shelly returned uh, and, and, uh, and, and, then, and then followed through with that. But man, I want to tell you, I cannot even tell you the contrast in my mind and spirit after I made that phone call. The temptation was gone. I mean, it was over like a switch had been flipped. I mean, I I can't even put into words the level because I remember what those two days were like. And I remember calling him that night, going to bed, waking up the next day, and the, the storm had passed. I've never experienced anything like it. And I think it was because I made the call and I knew in my heart and spirit, and, and I think, you know, Satan and his minions knew as well that there was a new level of accountability and somebody was going to call, and I didn't want to have to answer those tough questions. And beyond that, the, the freedom that I felt in my spirit after having made that call, knowing that my friend was praying for me, you cannot believe the work I got done uh, in, in those next few days. And you go, what? I, I, and I'm the same way. I'm, I got so much done in the office and at home. It was like all the mental energy that had been spent trying to ward off the temptations and the 
struggles that were there freed me up to do work and to focus on other things. It was absolutely amazing. So men, take ownership, take leadership of this area and this responsibility in your life. Choose to love your wife and practice loving her by protecting your purity, her purity, and the purity of your family. Christ presented the church to himself, this text said, uh, to be holy, pure, and without blemish. And men, we should want our wives and our family to be that way, holy and pure and without blemish. And the more we do that, the more attractive and desirable they're going to become and the more we will want to pursue after them in that time as well. Next, Paul tells us to practice love by caring for our wives. In verse 28, he says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I mean, are you following this? I mean, Paul says, you care for your own body, don't you? We go, well, yeah, we care for our own body. He says, well, just as you care for your own body, care for your wife and her body and meet her needs. You know, more money is spent in the modern era to pamper and protect and nourish and indulge our bodies than at any point in history. I mean, if we're hungry, we get something to eat. If we have a need in our life, we go and we meet that need. If we have a want in our life, we a lot of times will indulge that very want in our life. And men, if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we must care for them. Well, and how do we do that? Well, just listen to what your wives had to say. Compliment your wife now and then. Be a better listener. Treat me like a jewel, is what one of these ladies wrote. You know, if you care for your house or your car better than you care for your wife, you may want to reevaluate your priorities a little bit, guys. Think about that. I mean, it's just, we're pretty regular and consistent in that. But how about caring for your wife and meeting her needs with a better regularity than that? Give me your full attention when we're talking. Don't. You ever heard that before, guys? Look, if you've got a DVR, hit pause, turn the TV off. The distraction of you glancing away is not worth it. Trust me, all right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Just, just <laughs> pause it, record it, do whatever, turn it off, give the undivided attention. Better yet, just turn it off without recording it and show her how great your love is that you can miss that show or that program to focus on your wife. Well, what kind of a message does that send? Yeah, some ladies wrote, don't speak sarcastically to me and the kids. That's how you show your wife your care. Be romantic. Notice me, a lady wrote. Be more patient. Listen to me when I talk to you. Listen, in all caps. You see that one? Listen, you probably see that from your seat. Listen, you know, is there. Is that like five times listen that I've read that on there? That's on there a few times. Men, is that a message for us? But do you see how women perceive that you care? By giving them time and attention. It was amazing to me. As I read through this board, I didn't see send flowers, buy me jewelry, you know, fancy cars, any of that sort of stuff. These are all about relationship. These are all about time and your presence and your attention. You know, to care for your wife, you're going to have to study her. You're going to have to talk to her, communicate, find out what her needs are. And when you see and discover these things, do whatever it takes to meet those needs. If you are a list guy, a task type person, put on your list things to do for your wife. And you may say, well, that's so unromantic. That's so non-relational. Let me tell you something. She's not going to care how 
you did these things to meet needs in her life. I'm a a list guy like that. And I literally, before I've written down, do something kind for Shelly this week on my to-do list. And I would see that and go, oh, what am I going to do? I thought about it. Okay, I got to do something else. And I would move on. But on that list, and as I saw that, it kept coming to the forefront of my mind because I follow this list every day. What do I need to get done today? What do I need to get done this weekend? I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. And finally, I had the idea. Oh, this is what I can do that that will be kind for Shelly this week. And I did that. I followed through with it. Uh, Got a break. She went out and did some stuff and came back home. And I'll never forget, just in my mind, noticing the difference it seemed to have made in Shelly's life. She got to go out and do some stuff. She came home and she was, she was re-engaged with the kids and with me and she was laughing and smiling. And not that she's not that way all the time. I've got a sick kid, so it's a good thing Shelly's not here today. But I'm not meaning that she's like always down in the dumps or anything. But she came home, she was refreshed that day, you know, and I could just tell. And I remember being it very clear in my mind, wow, she seemed to really appreciate having that time away and out by herself. And you know what the thing about it is? Shelly didn't care that I'd written on my list that week, do something kind for Shelly. That didn't lessen for her the impact of what took place. It just helped me keep her needs in the forefront of my mind. And so men, do whatever it takes to be able to care for and meet the needs of your wife. Study her, ask what those are, and then put those things into practice. And the last thing that Paul tells us in being able to practice loving our wives is this. We need to have an unbreakable commitment. He says in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each, each one of you love his wife as himself. That word hold fast means to be cemented together. And Paul tells us that the bond of love between husband and wife is to be permanent and unbreakable. And man, we need to make that commitment in our hearts and then we need to demonstrate that unbreakable, unwavering commitment to our wives in how we behave. And as you begin to love your wife as Christ loved the church, she blooms and she blossoms and your love will grow even deeper and more strong over time. And that's the mystery of how how that bond grows and matures as God works that in our lives and in our relationships. You know, I've got to confess to you that when I put this board out there in the foyer last week, I didn't know how it was going to go over. Wasn't sure the responses and what it would be like, if there would be much to, be, to uh, use on there. And I've used nearly, probably 95% of the comments that are up there. You've heard these this morning. And as I went out this week and started writing these things down as I'd been studying and preparing for the sermon, I was blown away. I was amazed at how beautifully these responses meshed with the text this morning. It was a real God moment for me to see that the things that women most want from their husbands when they're given an opportunity to speak about and write these things out there are the things that God tells men to do in the most direct passage of Scripture that we have written directly to the husband. God tells us men to do these things and our wives said, we want our men, we want our husbands to do these things in our marriage and in our family relationships this morning. So the challenge this morning is very simple for men and for women both. Are you drawing from a growing relationship with Jesus Christ as the source for everything you need in your marriage relationship? A man and a woman can be together in marriage, but without Christ, they're not going to experience everything that I've described today. 
And so if you're here today, man, woman, teenager, child, and you do not have that relationship with Christ, would you come today and speak with one of our staff members so we can share with you how you can become one of God's children and have the Holy Spirit as your source and resource to do all of these things that we've spoken of today. But secondly, the question is this. Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? If not, then today decide, make a choice, make a firm commitment to do so. Regardless of where your marriage may be on the happiness or the functionality or the love scale, if you will choose to love and practice loving your wife, your marriage and your family will become more attractive and more desirable that nothing else in your life will even come close to, will even think about tempting you to to, uh, lose your position and to pull you away from them and from those relationships. So, man, you may want to come this morning and spend some time praying at the altar that God will help give you the, this, uh, the, the strength and the courage to, to follow through with these things. Maybe you want to come with your wife. Maybe, most importantly, it's not the time of our invitation now, but it's what happens today when you sit down with your wife this afternoon or this evening. And you all talk through your marriage and you ask, honey, how can I meet the needs in your life? How am I doing in these areas and sacrificing and caring for you and, and showing you an unbreakable commitment? How am I doing? Help me uh, know some things to do in the future but recognize that Christ is our authority and he commands us to do these things. And so pray and ask him today, Lord, would you help me be the husband you would have me to be?